0: You can you can turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're continuing our series in 2 Corinthians. We'll be looking at chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. In March of 2011, um, my dad um, succumbed to cancer after battling it for some years. Um, I got to spend the one of the best weeks of my life with my dad, um, shortly before he died. And it was a wonderful time talking about Jesus and the gospel, reading him God's word, making sure that he was ready. Uh, It's a week I can't forget. He died trusting in Christ. He died more concerned for the welfare of my mom and family and friends than himself. Back in 2010, at, at one point, he was really discouraged um, with the cancer, with the chemo and the surgery. He, they took out one lung and then one third of the other lung. So he had uh, two thirds of a half, a, only one lung, two thirds of it left. Um, it was a difficult year for him, and he was very discouraged. And I was watching him go through this. And I decided to write a note to my dad to encourage him as he felt so low. Um, and in that note, I, I said, uh, Dad, I'm really admiring you and your courage and your struggle. And who a person is really shows through amidst trials. And as I've watched you, I see a courageous man he was hanging on to God and looking to love his wife and his family. I just did it to encourage him. I, I didn't know, you know, what sort of impact it would have. I found out later that, that it got put on the fridge in the house. And, and in my house and probably in a lot of your houses growing up, if something got on the fridge, it meant it was really, really good. <laughs> it was effective in encouraging my dad. And he truly was a man of courage, and, and from what I know of my dad, that courage came from holding on to God. And as we talked that last week, I found out that he understood what that meant. He understood the gospel. He understood Christ dying for him. So it wasn't just a general theistic hope in God. It was a, a real living hope, and he told stories about what had happened, things I hadn't known before. But he drew courage from that. And he drew courage because he knew he wanted to be there for his family and not just give up. There was courage, great courage, in weakness. And we also need such courage in weakness. We all will face trials of some sort or another, be they cancer or something else, be they just the the week-in and week-out trials we face, and we need courage to face those and in our text today the Apostle Paul talks about courage and he talks about for him how this functions where it comes from and how it functions and brothers and sisters we need this truth we need this passage of scripture because we need such courage and God wants to give it to us so let's pray and then we're going to dig into the word and trust that God through it will grant us courage for trials and courage to share with others in His name. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You for the truths that are here. And we thank You, Lord, for the courage that You would give us in You. Lord, You don't leave us to ourselves to struggle through trials. You are with us always as we heard earlier. But You're with us in specific ways of bringing truth and comfort. So thank You for this passage. And I pray You'd help me, Lord God, to proclaim Your truth and to to proclaim who You are and effectively be used by you, God, to clearly explain and exhort and encourage your precious people and all who are here who need to hear these truths. So we look forward to what you'll do through the weakness of a human being trying his best to make the eternal glorious God known. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Chapter 5, verse 1. It says, For We know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, that we we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. God's Word from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We have very strong reasons from this passage for courage, even in our weaknesses and struggle. So I want to just go through the reasons as Paul brings them to us. So first, verses 1-4, through we have an eternal, glorious body awaiting us. We have an eternal, glorious body awaiting us. Paul starts out by saying for. For we know. And then he goes on to explain. So when you see a word like for, you know that it's connected to something else he's been saying. So you heard last week from Brendan. And thank you Brendan for bringing God's Word last week. You, You heard last week from Brendan the previous section where Paul is speaking about these sorts of truths, and then he leads into this section. So previously, you've been hearing about glory shown in weakness, about the idea of the seen versus the unseen, the temporal versus the eternal. Uh, You've heard about that there is an eternal weight of glory that's awaiting us, that far outweighs the light and momentary afflictions of this life. And so now Paul, in this section, is going to kind of fill out some of those details. He's going to talk about the nature. What is this glory? And and, and what does it look like? What are the specifics here? So he's been speaking generally somewhat, and now he's going to get into some more specifics. And so he starts saying, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. So he starts out with this idea that, that this tent that is our earthly home uh, is destroyed. We have something else: the reality of of just our bodies and their weakness. So, tent is a metaphor for our bodies, and it's our earthly home. We are uh, souls that live in a body. We're body and soul together as humans. That's how we're constructed. That's how God intends us to live. And so, the body part of us, the the, the flesh, uh, is like a tent, and it's. Uh, going to be destroyed. And what he means by that is it's a tent that's going to be dismantled. The Word is, is basically taking down the tent. The tent deteriorates and you take, take it down and get rid of it. So it's a metaphor for our bodies. And the reality is that our bodies are weak. They're imperfect. They're fading. Now, they're good and glorious. They're made by God. They're good in their original state, but we live in this world, this broken world marred by the effects of sin. And so, our bodies are imperfect. They drag on us. They have appetites that need to be tamed for God. They fluctuate. We fluctuate in how we feel. Our bodies are subject to pain and sickness. Our bodies are inherently weak. And that's part of our weakness. Just the reality that these bodies don't work how they ought to. And they don't stay the same either. They decline. They house our soul and, are in, and there's a union of soul and body so they're not separate, they're, they're together. But they're imperfect. And so, we, Paul says, we groan. For in this tent, verse 2, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. We groan, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So what Paul's saying is he's using another metaphor now. He's going from tent and building into clothing. And we groan because this body, we're clothed with this body, is weak, it's hard, and you live long enough, you start to feel and experience that. And so we've grown for something better, but not merely to get rid of a broken body, but to put on something better. To be further clothed. We're made to dwell in bodies. And we recognize through our own body and its own weakness, its own corruptibility, and so forth, that there's got to be something better. Now in this world, people will look at that reality and try to find some way to keep their body glorious and young and good. And It's a, it's a losing battle, right? We have to admit, it's a losing battle. But, but for the world, that's the glory they can hold on to. They can only hold on to this fading body. But, but the weakness of our bodies is meant to point us to something better. It's meant to get us to groan and say, Oh Lord, rescue us. Rescue me. It's a blessing actually to get older and have your body decline in line with scriptural truth. Now, of course it comes with the brokenness of this world, so it's not good in that sense, but it's a reminder of how we need redemption. It's a reminder of how we need God. It's a reminder as we know the promises we have in Christ that there is something better. There is a better body. There is a better life. But to live in this life is to groan. To live in this body, this side, of glory is to groan i was with our sister soyla yesterday she is in the hospital again even either having had surgery or facing surgery again she's had 15 years of cancer soyla rightly groans and we groan with her life can be tiring and discouraging dealing with the weakness and brokenness of our bodies and so we groan. We groan to, to put off this weak and broken body. To put on a new body. Paul says that uh, we, we long for mortal life to be swallowed up by life. We want our bodies to be renewed and to find the life that we're meant for that God intends to bring us. That we be further close so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So we long for this. And, and so Paul's talking about this reality. And again, remember, He's giving us reasons for courage. And so He's teaching us this truth that there is a building made by God eternal in the heavens. Not made with human hands. It's a building. It's replacing the tent. It's an upgrade to this body that we're going to have that is eternal and it's glorious and it awaits us. And knowing that and living that way with that hope and expectation, that is a sure hope grounded in the Death and resurrection of Christ Himself. Christ is alive right now in heaven with His resurrection body. So based on that, we have a sure hope of something better. Now theologians call this reality of of when we go to be with the Lord this state, the intermediate state. And the reason they call that the intermediate state is because there's a final state that awaits us, the Scripture teaches us, for all of those who have turned from sin, have turned away from doing life our own way, have turned away from the things that God says not to do because He's good. For those who, to sum it up, have turned away from loving God with their whole being and their whole lives and loving each other as themselves. That's When we refuse to do that, that's sin. Those who have turned away from sin and turned to Christ recognizing I don't have the answer for my brokenness and my sin except Jesus. God in the flesh, who died on the cross for my sins, paid the penalty of my sin, so that I could be fully forgiven and have fellowship with Him and belong to Him and and in that new relationship have eternal life. That only gets better. So for all of us who have turned and trusted in Christ, there's a promise of eternal life. There's a clear promise in Scripture of a final state that we all will have. Christ is right now reigning in Heaven. He ascended. He's reigning. In heaven, He's reigning over the church in all things to accomplish His mission. And when that is done, He will return. He will return to bring His final and full kingdom. And there will be a resurrection of all. And for those who are believers, there will be a resurrection of of a new body like Christ in every way. A glorious final state. No more sin. No more sickness. No more sadness. A, A renewed earth. Better than anything you could ever imagine. That's the final state. But if you die before He returns and you are a believer, you enter what's called the intermediate state. And, and it's taught in Scripture in a number of places. You have to kind of move around. So I just want to show you some verses to help you understand what it is and be assured that this is indeed where the believer goes. So Paul, in Philippians chapter 1, he says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul had two options. He either was going to stay here in his body, continue to serve, or when he was done, to be apart from his body was to be with the Lord. Just those two options. He wasn't going to enter into some sort of sleep that he'd sleep until Jesus comes back. Um, He he wasn't going to go somewhere else. He was going to go be with the Lord. So there's only those two options. You're either here In your body. Now Paul's going to talk about that later. Either home or away. uh, In your body. Or with Jesus. It's pretty clear in Scripture. Jesus says to the thief on the cross, Truly I say to you, today you will be where? With Me in Paradise. Not 2,000 years from now when I come back. Today. When you die because you uh, at the last minute of your life turned away from sin and self and trusted Me here A life, and just what hope that gives us, right? Here's a life wasted in many ways. Uh, He's being crucified that meant that He had done terrible things. And yet, Jesus receives Him as He turns to Him. And He says, today, you'll be with Me in paradise. So when you die, you're on the cross alongside of Me. You'll be with Me in paradise. So there's only two options. We're here, or we're with Him if we belong to Him. Hebrews talks about this to the the reality. Um, It says, you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem... And to innumerable angels and festal gathering to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the Judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the Mediator of a new covenant. So it's speaking of Mount Zion of heaven, and there's the spirits of the righteous made perfect. So, so our souls, our spirits, one and the same in Scripture, go to be with the Lord. Matthew says, I mean, Jesus says in Matthew, um, speaking on this, the reality of heaven and eternal life. And answering the, the Sadducees he says, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, quoting Scripture. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So right now, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive in the presence of the Lord. Revelation talks about the souls of those who have been slain. So, so we know our spirits go to be with him in heaven. Our bodies, these bodies here are left behind. Our spirits go to be with him. But also, Scripture teaches us that when we go to be with Him, we are glorified. So Romans 8, this wonderful promise of if you are if you belong to Jesus, it says, and we know that those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. So if you belong to Him right now, you can be assured uh, that He has been at work loving you from before time, and He has determine that you will be ultimately conformed to the image of the Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. So you're counted righteous by Christ, through Christ. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So the end state is to be made into the image of Christ and to be glorified. So when you go to be with the Lord... You enter into glory. You enter into the glorified state. And that's what Paul's talking about here. You're putting off this body and you're not going to be a naked soul. You're going to be clothed with glory. Now, we don't know the details. And we know that the final form comes at the resurrection. The final embodied state and the new body that's like Jesus' new resurrected body comes at the resurrection. But there's some sort of body in the intermediate state and we don't know the details. But we know that it's glorious. You're clothed in glory. You're not a naked soul just kind of floating around there. There's, there's, there's a body to you. There's glory. That's how we understand the intermediate state. That's how I think we have to from Scripture. Now, we're in good company. It's not like I came up with this idea on my own. You, would, you should be very concerned if that happens. Um, John Calvin himself, in speaking about this passage, says, I prefer to understand it, the... Heavenly building, this intermediate state, as meaning that the blessed condition of the soul after death is the commencement of this building, and the glory of the final resurrection is the consummation of it. So if you belong to the Lord, you can be of good courage because even though it's hard now and you groan, that groaning will be answered with a glorified embodiment in heaven, and then a final glorified resurrected body. The return of Christ. So be of good courage. These truths are meant to be encouraging for us. Uh, And and if you live long enough, when you're young, you know, sometimes this doesn't doesn't mean a whole lot because you're like, you're at that place where your body works. Um, And I've said to my kids, my kids are 20s, early 30s, and I said, I think it's only about five years actually where you have a body that really works and is healthy. Uh, right, 25 to 30-ish maybe, and then you start going downhill, at least I did. Um, you don't fully mature until 25. So guys, enjoy your five years, uh, but it will start to fade. Uh, I have a, had a picture when Mary was a little girl, I've told this before, a picture that Peg put up of me at 19, and this is when I was 39, so I wasn't as aged at that point. Uh, Mary looked at the picture and said, who's that, Mom? Uh, she didn't recognize me at 19. And if you've been using the Face app, Application lately, you know. Um, it ages you, so here I am at 50. Though I think, I think someone photoshopped me because I don't look that good. But uh, <laughs> then there's me at about 90, and there's me if I make it to 120. So my daughter said, that's horrific, Dad. I don't want to see that. <laughs> but that's reality, isn't it? That's the reality. And, and, and this promise here is so good for us. There's something way better. So don't despise your aging as a believer. Take it as a reminder that there's something better coming. Don't despise your weakness, your bodily weakness. Because it might not just be aging. You may carry chronic sickness. You may have just the weakness of like, why Why do my emotions go everywhere all the time? Why do I feel great one day and terrible, terrible the next? That's part of the weakness of your body. Don't despise that weakness because it's a reminder to point us to what He has for us and to let glory shine through us even in our weakness. The reality is that aging and even death is no longer a threat to us, but even a friend because we have life in Christ. Death is a graduation to something far better for the believer. Death no longer has its sting. It's like the abominable snowman that has his teeth taken out. Death can no longer chew on us and hurt us. But it brings us into a new life. Eternal life. Secondly, and more quickly, we have a guarantee by the Spirit of God's presence. This is a reason for courage. Because Paul says all this is from God. Verse 5, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. That this is God's plan. God's at work. God is in the design of things. God is the one who's prepared us and made this possible for us. This is not something that God delegated. He said, well, guys, just take care of that aging and that body thing. Whatever you want to do, go, go ahead. No, God Himself has planned and is involved in this in every way. This is not something just thought up by religious people like, well, wouldn't this be a nice answer to help us answer this aging question? concern. you know, uh, No, this is something prepared by God Himself for us. God is involved. And God, the triune God, God is one being, three persons. It, it's a mystery beyond our comprehension. He is truly and fully one in every way in His being. But He is three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here we see The fact, the truth that that God has prepared us and I think this speaks of God the Father and He's given us the guarantee of the Spirit in us. So this is His deal, this is His plan and He's given us the very best guarantee we could ever have. There is no better guarantee that this is all real and that you have eternal life than that the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And the Holy Spirit is fully God. He's not a force. He's not like a second class Citizen God, He's fully God. And so that means that the God who is holy, 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 who dwells in inapproachable light, who can't be contained in the whole universe in all of its massive dimensions, 30 orders of magnitude, will not contain this God. The One who is holy and mighty and infinite and eternal. The moment you receive Jesus comes to dwell in you by the Spirit. And God the Spirit in you gives you new life. It gives you this ability to believe. That does not come from you. Yes, it is your faith, but it does not originate in you. It's God the Spirit coming into you, granting you the ability to say, yes, I believe that. It grants you the ability to understand Scripture in a way you never understood it. You might have been intellectually able to understand it, but by the power of the Spirit, now you can say, yes, I love this. I embrace this truth. It gives you the ability to step by step become more and more like Jesus. It gives you the ability to know God as Father, to say to God, Abba, Dad, you're my dad. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's a work in us, and that's a sign of His presence, which is a guarantee of the results that God promises. There's no better guarantee than that God Himself would dwell in us saying, you're mine, and you will have a new body, and you have every reason to be of good courage. Imagine for some strange reason that Bill Gates takes a liking to you and, uh, and just decides to take you into his family. And you're kind of skeptical, like, yeah, right, I'm sure, I'm sure your $100 billion is somehow going to be mine. That's ridiculous. And, and he, to convince you, he says, look, I'm really serious. I really mean this. I'm going to have Melinda actually move in with your family and live with you. And she's going to live in your house and be part of your family. And you're going to have the full inheritance that is ours. Would you maybe take them a little more seriously at that point? Yes, you must be serious. God Himself, the analogy of course breaks down because God is one, but God Himself says you're mine, and all these things are yours, not just a hundred billion, but an infinite treasury for you, through Christ, what Christ has done, it's all yours. And I'm so serious about this that I'm going to give you the best guarantee, I'm going to put myself in you to dwell with you, to assure you it is real. So we are guaranteed of these things by the presence of the Holy Spirit. God Himself dwells in us. And so we can be always of good courage. Verse 6. So we are always of good courage because we have Him in us and we know that these things are real. So let me ask you, how are you doing? Are you of good courage? Or are you really struggling? Now Paul struggled, right? We've seen that earlier. He despaired of life itself. Probably him and his whole team as they faced some real struggles. But he didn't stay there. As God worked, Paul grasped the promises of God. He learned to trust in the Lord who raises the dead. He learned to remember these things and to rehearse these things and to share these things with His team and have them mutually encourage each other with these truths so that He could remember these things and be of good courage. That's how it's supposed to work. These truths are not like you hear them once and you're done. These are truths to rehearse and remember and remind each other of so that we might be always of good courage. So we're to set our sights on these things. We're to live by faith in these things. We're to trust in what is unseen and not just look at what is seen. Don't just look at your weakness. Don't just look at your trouble and trials. Look through those to the promises of God that are that are sure and live in those. Rehearse them. Remind each other of these truths. And through this always be of good courage. Finally, reason for always being a good courage, we have a lot of meaning in how we live now. Verses 9-10. through We keep our eyes on the Lord. We keep our eyes on these truths, what God has done and what He will do. And as a result of putting our eyes on Him and on these promises, what goes with that is that we make it our aim to please Him. He is what ultimately matters. He is the One who gives us these things. He's the One who's with us. He's the One who dwells in us. And as we live this life, we live in reference to Him. He is the central reference point. He is what ultimately matters. Nothing else matters in comparison to God. He is to be our reference point. He is the One who who does all these things for us The One whom we live before and we live for. He's the One who will evaluate us at the end. So Paul says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the reality. We're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We're all going to give an answer for our lives. What has been done in the body. Paul's talking about the theme of the body here. So while you're in this body, though it be weak, you are living before God. And you will be evaluated one day based on what you did in the body. Whether good or evil. Now, there's two sides to this. For the believer, the reality is is that you are no longer judged for your sin. You are forgiven. So this is not a judgment of whether or not you're going to be in heaven with the Lord. It's a judgment for the believer. It's an evaluation. And, and it's an evaluation of your life and of your fruit. And that evaluation will do a couple things. One, it will, it will clarify that, yes, you do belong to me because you put your faith in me. And also, it will be an evaluation of your life, of the different things that you have done in your life. I think about it uh, this way I, I used to work uh, at a laboratory, and it was uh, on an Army base. And in order to get into that laboratory, I had to be an employee, I had to have a badge. And and every morning, I would drive uh, past the guard shack, and he would look at my badge make sure that I belonged. Uh, So going to there, I knew I belonged there. I was safe. I was in. I was part of of that laboratory. But we did yearly evaluations. We did evaluations. I was evaluated for my job performance uh, because they wanted to help me do better and reward me in a fair way and the rest of the team. And that's the picture here for us as believers. that We have all these promises. We belong to the family simply through turning away from sin and trusting Christ. We are safe. We're employees. We're more than employees. We're family members. We're welcomed into His presence. But He will evaluate us. And there will be rewards. There will be an affirmation that we are part of the family and then there will be rewards. There will be blessings given to those according to what we have done in this life. What we do matters tremendously. And so we take encouragement in that too, knowing that we're not living some kind of meaningless life just waiting to die to get that reward of the new body in in heaven. No, everything we do today, tomorrow, every single day in this body counts one way or the other. And so for the believer, we have an opportunity to invest in that which is eternal. And it's a whole other topic to talk about the nature of those rewards. I don't think they're selfish. It's not like you're going to get more gold or something in heaven if you're good now. No, there will be more blessing, more enjoyment of all the goodness of God and and your brothers and sisters who were affected by your life in heaven. That's The the nature of that reward has to do with people and God Himself. But there will be a reward given. So what we do now does matter. What we do now counts for eternity. So that should be an encouragement to us. As a pastor, I've visited uh, a lot of people in in the hospital. As I said, I was with Soila yesterday. Often people who are sick and suffering, they, they can feel like they're wasting their time. They can feel like they've fallen short somehow of doing what they ought to do. And they can feel like, I just want to get out of this hospital so I can go do God's work. And I always remind them that they're doing God's work in the hospital. First, they're doing good that will be rewarded by showing their faith. Because faith shines most significantly through trial. Faith is a gift from God. It's the gold that's within. And sometimes in life, it, it, you can kind of obscure that gold because things are pretty good. But when you're suffering and, it, and there's nothing else left to hang on to, that gold comes forth and you see it. And so, when people suffer in the hospital in sickness or otherwise, They do good by making that gold shine forth to show that genuine faith. And God is pleased with that. He is glad to reward that sort of faith. It's a a faith that's in weakness though, right? It's in suffering. It's in trial. Sometimes people feel like I'm barely hanging on to Jesus. But that is glorious and miraculous and good. Secondly, there's good done by how it encourages others. I feel amazingly privileged to get to be there with believers as they struggle and watching them hang on to Jesus. And I know, yes, indeed, it is their faith, but it's God at work too. And it strengthens me. It helps me think, you know, I, I'm watching them get through this. I'm watching God use them. I'm watching them believe when, when they're, they're losing everything at times. There are people, I mean, we've, we've buried young people losing all those dreams and things they hope to do dying of cancer, terminal cancer, and yet they're trusting God. Boy, that's encouraging. That makes me confident when I'm going to face trials to know if God's helping them like that in that sort of circumstance, He can help me. So there's good done through the encouragement. And thirdly, there's good done in the witness to the world. The world doesn't have anything to hang on to at that point. And when someone hangs on to the Lord and they have confidence for the future, it's powerful. It's a powerful testimony to the reality and the need of God and His grace. And so it shines for the glory of God and the good of others. It has an impact. People pay attention when a believer suffers and holds on and has strength and has courage in weakness. D.L. Moody. The great evangelist was dying. His last words were, earth is receding. Heaven is approaching. This is my crowning day. Brothers and sisters, we are to live in light of those truths. And so let me ask as we prepare a transition and close out, how are you living and investing your life now and standing on the promises of God in your weakness, in such a way that you can say this is my crowning day. We're weak. We struggle. That's not the point. I'm not saying perfection. It's looking to Him in your weakness. Holding on to these promises and finding the courage you need. And sharing that courage with others as well. How are you living that way? Are you living in light of these things? Do you see your weakness this way? Are you looking to God and His promises? Are you living with this ultimate reference point or is there some other reference point that has captured your attention? Let's just take a minute as we close and then transition to a little bit of Q&A to pray. Go before the Lord um, and just talk to Him about this. If there's some way in your life you realize, I need help, Lord. Help me do this better. Help me to look to You. Help me not to make this my reference point. Use me in other people's lives, whatever it might be. There might be something God's calling you specifically to do in light of this message, but I just want you to take a minute to maybe close your eyes if you'd like and pray, uh, go before the Lord, think about how to live in light of His Word, and then we'll we'll go into a little Q&A.